0: This episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by our pals at WCScreens.com. As reliable as the old toss sweep, go to WCScreens.com for nationwide shipping, wholesale prices, and just like your Fighting Irish, they are the gold standard. WCScreens.com. And on with the show. In keeping step with the fact that it is October, and October means Halloween, well, how about a cemetery-themed episode? You may be aware that Notre Dame has two cemeteries on campus, but did you know that this is actually something of a rarity on college campuses across the country? Perhaps asking even more of a pointed question, what's the story with this pair of cemeteries on campus? Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans, for yet another thrilling ride with Onward to Victory. <sighs> Irish fans, we are rolling and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and thank you for joining me here today. As I mentioned in the show lead, we are in the midst of Halloween season. And also, since we haven't once discussed the pair of cemeteries on the campus of the University of Notre Dame, well, it just kind of felt like a logical direction. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly ask that you like and subscribe to the podcast. That way you can be alerted to all future episodes, as well, of course, access the entire back catalog of episodes, which is ever-growing as we are here today on episode number 70. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a review as well. And if you're new here, this show kind of serves as a verbal history of the university and football team. Each episode is traditionally a self-contained story, most of which are pretty timeless. So again, I would encourage everyone not to be shy when going through the archives of the show. Jump in. Allow me to take a few moments here to thank the people who absolutely need to be thanked. So a very special thank you to the folks who donate to the show. Keep the lights on. Keep us on the air. Keep us on the tracks. I am talking about the Consensus All-Americans. They include Mr. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana. Eternally grateful for every last one of you, and also to WCScreens.com, our 2022 banner sponsor. If you would like to get your name called as a Consensus All-American yourself, Please feel free to visit the virtual tip jars at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation, or even better, patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast for ongoing monthly support. Please just know that every red cent is so greatly appreciated, and also my thanks include you for taking the time to listen, join me here today, hopefully learn something about our beloved university, and also those who share the episodes with friends, family, fellow Notre Dame fans, This show has grown exponentially over 2022, and I'd like to think that a lot of it is just people talking about it and chattering about it and sharing it, so thank you all. And another special thank you to the guest of the last episode, the great Notre Dame artist Kathleen Kiefer. If you haven't listened to the last episode, man, give it a spin. We had a great conversation, Uh, Kathleen is really awesome, and she is a fantastic artist who I think literally bleeds blue and gold for what it's worth but she has a, a wealth of knowledge and perspective, and it was just a really fun conversation. So I would encourage you to go check it out. She was just so easy to talk to, and I will be honest, I was a little nervous going into that conversation because speaking with an artist, that kind of put me out of my element a little bit. So I have to applaud her for making this guy who knows nothing about art except for it looks pretty. Putting me at ease and just really having a great conversation about not only art, but also our shared interest in the University of Notre Dame. So also jump over to onwardtovictory.blog for even more content from your favorite Irish podcast. Aside from just periodic game analysis and recaps, we also do some really interesting historical bits, special features, you know, just give us a bookmark. There's quite a bit of interesting content over there as well. So this episode is actually something of a continuation of a Halloween episode I put out in October of 2020, which I called Ghost Stories for Golden Domers, Tales of a Haunted Notre Dame. Something I thought was pretty clever at the time. But that episode actually kind of covers a lot of the spooky stories and lore, which there is a lot of, by the way, on Notre Dame's campus. And I'll be fairly candid here. Most of the ghost stories on campus revolve around Washington Hall, which just sits east of the main administration building or the Golden Dome, if you will. But other than the age of the building, it was built in 1879, uh, which makes it one of the oldest buildings on campus. The modern Gothic architectural style kind of gives it that bit of a spooky veneer. So lots of eeriness and lots of eerie stories coming from that building. But in keeping step with the Halloween season, man, let's talk about some cemetery, shall we? Oh, by the way, I know we're having fun with this Halloween theme and we're talking about cemeteries, but I will keep everything here tasteful. I know the subject matter can be kind of sensitive. And this is because I absolutely own the fact that when it comes to cemeteries, I am perhaps more comfortable than most. I would actually consider myself a bit of what is known as a -a taphophile or someone who likes to visit and study cemeteries. And in my defense, I do consider myself a bit of a historian, and cemeteries, reading death certificates, and that kind of thing come part and parcel, often with historical research. So yeah, I went on family vacations. It's not the least uncommon that we stop off at a cemetery. So yeah, my poor kids. Anyway, and firstly, having an active cemetery on a college campus is, as I mentioned in the show lead, actually somewhat rarefied air. I use the term active because, after doing some fairly extensive digging, most of the cemeteries on college campuses are not active or accepting new burials. And that's because some cemeteries on campuses are so old that they predate the college itself or they were only active in the very early days of the school. This is the case particularly with many faith-based colleges, where colleges and universities may have been actually built around a physical church, which, of course, is a commonplace for cemeteries. Or, in the case of Duke University, you're going to find here quickly, I did quite a bit of research on cemeteries on college campuses, but they bought land to expand in the 1920s, so about 100 years ago. And that land that they purchased just happened to have a small family cemetery on it. So, yes, most cemeteries on campuses, again, are not active, so to speak, but some hold major significance to the school. Other cemeteries, such as the case with my alma mater, Earlham College, there is a cemetery... Aptly called the Earlham Cemetery. I know, you don't have to tell me. Very creative. But it actually sits adjacent to campus, so not on campus grounds. And though it bears the name of the school, it's not actually owned or operated by Earlham. And sometimes you build your school on top of a cemetery and you don't even know it. You think I'm pulling your leg? Well, such is the case of Clemson University. Clemson was founded in 1889, but lo and behold... More than 600 unmarked graves were discovered on campus just two years ago in 2020, which the bodies likely belong to, according to the local Greenville News, quote, enslaved peoples, domestic workers, sharecroppers, and convicted laborers who lived, worked, and died on the university's land in the 1800s, end quote. This would have been, of course, before the university was founded and the land that encompassed it was likely a plantation. But 604 unmarked graves, to be exact. I just thought that was wild. And if you think, wow, that seems aberrational, surely that doesn't happen very often. It's actually not as uncommon as you'd think. In 2017, the University of Georgia, while constructing a new building on campus, found the bodies of over 100 people buried in unmarked plots. It was again surmised that the remains belonged to enslaved people. Now, I don't bring up these anecdotes to bring any criticism or shame on these universities. Obviously, they wouldn't have had any part in it. So that's important, A, to note. But B, I thought it was interesting as part of our kind of overall conversation about the history of cemeteries on college campuses so that's why i decided to bring it up but see it's good to be mindful of just how far we've come as a society you know there was a time where this was not just allowed but also accepted and there were large groups of people mostly poor people of any color enslaved persons as they mentioned earlier convicted laborers immigrants that We're just routinely buried with no paperwork, nor any sort of remembrance. So we should be thankful that we have moved past that phase in our history for the most part. I have to share this one quickly. Another cemetery on a campus. And this one is actually an active cemetery. And it's at Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. And not for nothing, I actually played two football games on that campus when I was in college. But with less than 400 graves it is jokingly said that the cemetery on campus is every bit as selective as the college's admission standards. But contained within the cemetery is the Lewis family crypt. So this comes by way of the Kenyan collegian here, quote, perhaps the most central marker in the cemetery's landscape is the Lewis crypt. Built in 1890 by the Lewis family, the crypt is the only such structure in the cemetery and was used by students to brew alcohol during Prohibition. According to a 1949 Kenyan Collegian article, students found it a neat manufactory for their assorted tonics. John N. Lewis, a prominent railroad engineer and the first person laid to rest in the crypt, had only been dead for a few decades prior to Prohibition, and students turned his final resting place into a makeshift distillery. End quote. Yep, so just in case you're like, man, college, st- college students today have no respect for anything. It's probably always been that way. So anyway, I think we're adequately warmed up for this one now. So, cemeteries. The University of Notre Dame, again, has two of them. And most people who have visited campus are keenly aware that as you go up the main drive of campus, Notre Dame Avenue, there is one on the west side of the drive, or I guess on the left If you're pulling in, I'm sure that most would agree with me when I say that it's beautiful, it's scenic, particularly on a fall football morning. And even on those football Saturdays where campus is just absolutely bustling with activity, it still manages to be a very peaceful, serene place. That cemetery is called Cedar Grove. And wouldn't you know it, the cemetery is is about as old as the university itself. It was established in 1843 by Father Edward Soren, who, of course, founded the University of Notre Dame just one year earlier in 1842. So why, you may ask, was Cedar Grove Cemetery founded? Well, quite simple. The university would need a place to bury their dead. Whether it be one of the priests, brothers, or students, So, just some helpful context, I think. Mortality was thought of differently uh, then than it is now. The life expectancy for a white male, who at the time, in the 1840s and 50s, comprised the campus community in its entirety, was just over 38 years old in 1850. So, armed with this data, again, 38 years old was the life expectancy of a white male halfway through the 19th century. But again, armed with this data, you could just as easily conclude that Father Soren would have been somewhat foolish not to have planned ahead in this manner. So when thinking about how the campus is laid out, with the earliest buildings of the college built on the banks of the St. Mary's Lake, the Cedar Grove Cemetery would have been kind of considered all on the fringe of campus. But less than a decade after the cemetery was established, one of the Holy Cross brothers, Father Francis Xavier, built a chapel in the middle of the cemetery and called it the All Souls Chapel. So this was in 1850. So though the original roof and steeple of the All Souls Chapel burned in 1926, the rest of it is actually still the original. So after doing a little digging on Father Francis Xavier, I thought it was really interesting that he actually wasn't formally trained in architecture in the slightest, but rather he was a carpenter by trade and he kind of taught himself architecture on the side. So not for nothing, he also pretty much had a hand in the design of most of the buildings constructed on campus in the 19th century. A self-taught architect. How about that? But I would say that Cedar Grove Cemetery is probably one of the most famous cemeteries on a college campus in America. If one were to Google search cemeteries on college campuses, Cedar Grove comes up early and often. And the cemetery itself has grown exponentially since its inception. It has seen two dramatic expansions in size to bring it to what is now in the present day 22 acres. So there were sizable expansions, one in 1977 and another followed 22 years later in 1999. And yes, some of you may be thinking, hey, isn't there a golf course right next to that? Yeah, you'd be correct. Uh, I've not played golf on the course, as I'm not fond of embarrassing myself publicly, but perhaps you have played golf on that course. And if you have, then you've played golf right next to the Cedar Grove Cemetery. So, I found this also most interesting, perhaps the most interesting part of the cemetery, but it was care took by the Holy Cross brothers, uh, the same ones that perform most of the other day to day operations of the school. And according to Notre Dame's website, they also performed all the mortuary duties for the cemetery until 1911. So, the mortuary duties would have included things like preparing the body of the departed for burial. Uh, like embalming, dressing, casketing them, and maybe even driving the horse-drawn carriage that served as the hearse. And of course, all the administrative work that goes with running a cemetery as well, such as preparing burial permits. Anyway, we are talking from the top of the process to the very bottom. For almost seven decades, the priests handled the duties, from 1843 to 1911. Now, many of the people buried in the cemetery were campus leaders, professors, students, etc. Famously, one of the students that was laid to rest in Cedar Grove was Union General William Tecumseh Sherman's young son, who actually died while he was a student at Notre Dame. But Cedar Grove also spent a huge chunk of its early history as a public cemetery as well. So, among the nearly 5,000 final resting places are hundreds of folks who actually have little, if any, connection to Notre Dame, but were people from the greater South Bend area. All right, and I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, all right, Alex, cut to the chase. Who's buried in Cedar Grove? Well, here's a short list. As far as Irish football icons, former head coach Eric Parsegian, 1949 Heisman Trophy winner Leon Hart, former Notre Dame football and basketball player and athletic director Edward Moose Kraus and prolific wide receiver Jim Seymour. They are all buried in Cedar Grove. And oh, one more, uh, Dave Durson, who was a former Irish player and famously he was the safety for the 1985 Bears who also played a huge role after he passed in understanding the neurological impact of football is buried in Cedar Grove. Additionally, when media personality, kind of media superstar, I guess, and Notre Dame alum Regis Philbin passed away a couple years ago, he was laid to rest in Cedar Grove as well. And for one more here, some of you may remember the TV show from the late 1980s and the early 1990s called Father Dowling Mysteries. So the gentleman who wrote the book that that show was based on, his name was Ralph McInerney, hopefully I said that correctly, is also buried there, again, among many other noteworthy persons. Also, found this cool, at least one indigenous person is buried in Cedar Grove as well. And as I was pouring over the archives for a plucky anecdote or two, I found this one in the March 14th, 1891 issue. Quote, Last week, our veteran brother Francis Xavier... There he is again, buried a Chippewa Indian reputed to be nearly 150 years old. He was one of the very few Aborigines remaining in this part of the country and formerly belonged to the tribe of Miamis who lived in the neighborhood of Fort Wayne, end quote. So somewhere in that cemetery, a reputed century and a half old Native American was put to rest as well. I think I'm going to have to try to get to the bottom of that one, honestly. One more note about Native Americans in the cemetery that I found. This comes by way of a 1993 issue of the school newspaper. Quote, In 1928, when the city of South Bend was building St. Joseph's High School, a Pottawatomie Indian burial ground was discovered. They gave everything they found, including bones, beads, pottery, etc. to the Cedar Grove Cemetery. According to cemetery overseer Timothy Mosier, the cemetery took everything and put it in a hole. Then they filled the hole with dirt and they made a mound with a rock oil top to it, just like the Indians do. And then finally they put a plaque on the rock, end quote. So that's a bit about Cedar Grove Cemetery. And in case you're wondering, no, not just anyone can be buried there even if you're the biggest Notre Dame fan in the world. Cedar Grove is actually reserved for retired faculty and alumni of the college, as well as parishioners of the Basilica of the Sacred Heart Church. So I I guess you could be the biggest Notre Dame fan in the world and be buried there, but you must check one of those boxes. The other cemetery on campus is called Holy Cross Cemetery. Now, where is this one, you may ask? Well, as you drive past the grotto on Holy Cross Drive you may notice kind of where the road forks. Stay right and you will remain on Holy Cross Drive or merge left, and then you're on St. Mary's Road. So if any of you have ever been to the Moreau Seminary, which is where the famous Rudy Bench is, then you have actually been on St. Mary's Road. (laughs) Anyway, head up St. Mary's Road a couple hundred yards, and you will see Holy Cross Cemetery to the west, directly adjacent to the road. Compared to Cedar Grove, it's a much smaller cemetery, with only approximately 1,100 plots. This part of campus is one of my favorites. I think it's simply beautiful, and the cemetery is cut into a patch of that picturesque northern Indiana woods. But unlike Cedar Grove, you won't see larger or varied headstones, but rather almost exclusively Neat rows of identical, simple crosses. In this regard, it's almost reminiscent to like a battlefield cemetery. But whereas Cedar Grove Cemetery is selective, Holy Cross Cemetery manages to be even more choosy. You actually have to be a priest in the Holy Cross order to be buried there. I say that, but there are, of course, always exceptions to the rule. And I was able to find one exception to the rule at Holy Cross Cemetery, and that is a gentleman by the name of Joseph Lyons, who was a professor at Notre Dame who happens to be the namesake of Lyons Hall on campus. But he represented the first time a non-clergy member was buried there. All but one of Notre Dame's 14 deceased former presidents are buried in the community cemetery. This, of course, tracks because the president of the college has to be a member of the Holy Cross Order of Priests. So in that cemetery, then, does include many names that you probably know, such as Father Ted Hesberg, Father William Corby, and even the founder himself, Father Edward Soren. So some of you may be thinking, well, who is the one former president that's not buried in Holy Cross? that would actually be Cardinal John O'Hara. So the next time you happen upon the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, you will actually see the tomb of Cardinal O'Hara there. I just listened to an interview that uh, Father John Jenkins, who's the current university president, gave about Holy Cross Cemetery, and he notes that he goes there often to be in thoughtful prayer and reflection with his forebears. And I imagine as the president of the university, that is probably a very impactful place to spend time and thought. But I'll be honest with you, I'll level, I knew that Holy Cross Cemetery was there, but I had no idea that that's where all the former presidents, save Cardinal O'Hara, I suppose, were buried. So that was a good bit of uh, knowledge for me to kind of uncover for at least myself. Maybe some more of you out there were otherwise unfamiliar that this was the cemetery for the Holy Cross priests, which again includes former deceased campus university presidents. So I knew about Cardinal O'Hara's entombment at the Basilica because I've seen it many, many times while walking around the church. But yeah, I never put two and two together, and I've passed that cemetery many, many times, and I guess not really fully realized what it was. So definitely a bit of a blind spot for me, if you will. So I suppose that actually wraps up this history of not only the two cemeteries that are on Notre Dame's campus, but kind of an overall history of cemeteries on college campuses in general. Hope you appreciated that. And next time you visit campus and you see those, you know, hopefully you just have just a bit more context and really just how important they are to both the history and as well as the identity of the University of Notre Dame, even as macabre or morose as cemeteries are kind of considered to be. Hope you enjoyed that. I'll be right back with show rap. So I was recently asked what my favorite Halloween movie is, and I'll be the first to tell you I'm not big on the horror movie genre. Just not for me. Not to say that it's not awesome or great for a lot of people. It's just not my cup of tea. So I had to cop to the fact that my favorite Halloween movie, well, it's Casper. I watch it probably a couple times throughout the year, and then I'll watch it a couple more times during Halloween. But I tell you, when I think of Halloween, you know what I honestly think of? Man, that is living in Indiana during the fall, and that means Notre Dame football. So hopefully everyone's having a nice early stages of fall, and as we are here a few weeks into the 2022 Notre Dame football season. I don't want to date the episode too much, but hey, things are looking a little bit better than what they were the first couple weeks, so... That's always awesome, I will say. And no, I don't think we're seeing a finished product by any stretch, but it's good to see some growth and maturity in various aspects of the program that honestly really kind of had to grow up quickly. So I hope you really enjoyed, though, this history of the cemeteries on Notre Dame's campus. Don't forget, if you are listening, do not hesitate to like, subscribe, do whatever it is that you have to do to make sure that you are being notified to all the new episodes. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Also, if you decided uh, to be really kind and leave a review, Uh, particularly if you're using an Apple device, I'm told that if you have an Apple device and you use the podcast app, if you leave reviews, it kind of helps with the algorithm that I'll never understand and helps the podcast get noticed. So I do greatly, greatly appreciate any support that you can throw the show on that end as well. So A quick thank you once again to the Consensus All-Americans, those folks who support the show monetarily and keep us powering. Those people are Mr. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio. And Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana. Hey, do you have a really cool anecdote that you'd like to contribute to this history of the cemeteries uh, of Notre Dame? Feel free to drop the show a line at Onward to Victory Podcast at gmail.com. I'll read it on the next episode. And if you're new around here and you were listening in you were like, "Hey, that song, that song that was played during the intro. Where do I find it?" That's my pal Joseph Rackish. The song is called Knut Rockney. It serves as our theme song. You could find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Music, however you download music, however you consume it, you'll find my pal Joseph Rackish there and again the song is called Knut Rockney. It's a favorite around here. It's a real toe tapper. And with that, fellow sons and daughters of Aaron, I had better sign off. I hope you enjoyed this episode number 70 in show history. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.